Today's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is brought to you by HelloFresh. Listeners, do you feel like you're stuck in a dinner rut? With HelloFresh, you get fresh pre-measured ingredients with mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your front door. Skip all those trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. You can now enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. With over 25 recipes to choose from each week, there is something for everyone to enjoy. All recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. Now, Christian, one of the reasons I love HelloFresh so much is I love their variety. But I'm not going to lie, last week, I must have had the old school barbecue pork Slappy Joe's three dinners in a row with the pickled onions and the potato wedges with the Chipotle ranch. It's just delicious comfort food done right. Well, you know me, I've always enjoyed a hot bowl of soup, so I've been trying a bunch of options. Most recently, their Italian wedding soup with meatballs, simply amazing. So listeners, go to our link in our show notes and get $80 off, including free shipping on HelloFresh, the number one meal kit. That's HelloFresh, the recipe for deliciousness. Nerds, it's time to suit up and nerd up. Launching badass rockabilly track. Now navigating living maze. Time to save the world with some wrestling, video games, movies, horror, and more. Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the amazing nerd show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is The Amazing Nerd Show. All right, this week we're reviewing Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. And we're also breaking down Episode 5 of Marvel's What If. Plus, we got a glimpse of the future of gaming with the PlayStation Showcase. I'll also be reviewing Season 5 of Rick and Morty. And we're going to be discussing this past weekend's biggest wrestling event, AEW's All Out. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some Amazing Nerd Show swag. And also, this week's episode of The Amazing Nerd Show is sponsored by Liquid Death. All right, Christian, before we get started, I got to go ahead and break out an ice-cold can of Liquid Death to get these vocal cords nice and lubricated for the people. Hell yeah, man, I'll join you. Yeah, man, and I'm happy to report my house is now pop free and that's all thanks to liquid death oh man i need to get on that level i mean i've been trying to get my family into drinking liquid death because it brutally murders your thirst and don't forget man they're bringing death to plastic bottles because of their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans that they also donate 10 percent of profits from to help kill plastic pollution most plastic you throw in a recycling bin actually just gets sent to a landfill because it's not profitable to recycle but Liquid Death's aluminum cans are infinitely recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities. Hey man, just like I said last week, I love sitting on my porch, blasting some Death Angel as I pound back ice cold tall boys of Liquid Death and then smashing them on my head, scaring the shit out of the neighbors. I can't wait to read a police blotter on public disturbance by menacing man angrily drinking water. Don't tell me how to live my life, Christian. (laughs) Right now, you can head over to liquiddeath.com and with your purchase you can use our promo code AMAZYNERD and you'll get a free koozie 2 pack. Or hey you can be like me and head over to your local 7-Eleven or Whole Foods nationwide and pick up Liquid Death today. And brutally murder your thirst in style 
with your very own ice-cold can of liquid death. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Well, all right, Damien, it's been a bit of a slower news week this week. Yes, it has. Um, but on that note, we do actually have a lot of video game news to cover, and you'll be doing that later on in Christian's Corner. Yes, all that PlayStation goodness. But anyway, as we record this on Thursday, our biggest headline this week so far is that Venom 2's release date has changed once again. So it looks like after the record-breaking success of Shang-Chi over the past weekend, Sony has opted to move Venom Let There Be Carnage up two weeks to open on October 1st. And then in other film release news, we have a big update on Halloween Kills. So the film that was originally supposed to go toe-to-toe against Venom on October 15th is staying put, thankfully. But now it's going to be available to stream on the Peacock Network on the same day that it's released theatrically. It seems like the studio probably decided to play it safe, with COVID still being an issue, and I I would have to think them having to face off against Venom might have factored into the idea of brokering the deal with Peacock before Sony decided to shift gears. There was a rumor a while back that Halloween Kills could stream on Netflix on Halloween uh, just two weeks after its theatrical release, so I wasn't completely surprised by this news. But I'm happy that Shang-Chi's um, you know, box office did well enough because I felt like everything was riding on this, right? Like all the movies were about to be shifted if Shang-Chi didn't make this money. Oh, exactly. If it would have tanked, um, mm-hmm. which would have been unfortunate, um, yeah, no, the whole theatrical release like calendar would have completely shifted. And I, I'm feeling like most of the big like blockbuster films would have moved to like you know to 2022 now i don't know about like how the finances work you know with them having this deal with peacock to stream it but i'm hoping that they get cut like a giant check because Mm -hmm. i feel like this is definitely going to eat into their box office you know with it being like free to watch on peacock Exactly. Like, I'm, I'm so curious how those deals work. Like, if they get any type of, like, percentage per stream or anything like that, which I doubt. But <laughs> No, I mean, Halloween Kills is a Blumhouse production, but I don't know if, you know, somehow Blumhouse falls underneath the umbrella of Universal, which owns Peacock. <laughs> I'd have to Google all that. But I know when, like, Netflix or uh, Amazon purchases, like, a giant film, like Amazon did with Knives Out, they just cut a giant fucking check for it, and that was it. So, I mean, mm. it was a substantial amount. So, um, you know, hopefully, you know, it's enough to, like, keep the franchise going. And we already know that the third film might... Was it shot already, or it's in the it's in the works? Did they shoot kill, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends back-to-back? I think yes, they did, I believe, right? Yeah, I believe so. Okay, so it's probably already in the can. But you want to see the studio make a profit so they can continue you know supporting horror films like halloween i just feel like we're gonna see a very different film industry in the next five years if this like just based on how we're doing releases at this point i mean the landscape is definitely changing so while i do like having the option you know whether or not to watch a film like in the theater or on my couch at the same time i don't want to see like theatrical releases go to the wayside which i Mm -hmm. which i'm worried about But speaking of major theatrical releases, we got a trailer for The Matrix 4. Yeah, while there might not be tons of news, we did get a huge trailer this week. 
After all these years, to be going back to where it all started. Back to the Matrix. So Christian, in watching this trailer, I realized I don't think I saw Matrix 3. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really not a huge Matrix fan. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and let you take the reins on this one and kind of guide us through what the hell you think is going on. Because, like I said, I have no clue what's happening here. At the end of the third film, and, and spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen Matrix, I guess. But, it um, came out like 20 years ago, right? <laughs> I know. I'm just giving I'm giving it out there just uh, in case. But Neo's like whole journey throughout the films was pretty much to eventually bring an end to this big war that human civilization's been having with these robots. Well, at the end of three, he kind of brokers a peace treaty by sacrificing himself. So he does die completely. And there's a chance that maybe a version of himself might exist digitally within the Matrix, but that's what we would probably have to explore in this film. Now, what I'm imagining is going to happen in this film, based off things I'm like seeing in the trailer, is that maybe um, Trinity or maybe the robots in general have you know now officially gone against their treaty and have started putting putting people back into their like pods that they use. Because I don't know if you know this, the robots are using the you know humans for uh, a fuel source, so that's why they're all living within the matrix so you think trinity's aware of what's going on because it seemed like in the trailer she was kind of in the same boat as like keanu and like really like not knowing what the hell's going on exactly so i'm i'm wondering if the robots have started to put people back in pods and maybe have erased their memories and started a new matrix okay that's what i'm trying to i'm trying to get from this trailer i'm i'm because that would probably be the easiest way if they wanted to like soft reboot this entire franchise is oh the robots just you know kidnapped all the humans again and made them into uh, fucking food for themselves now what are the robots names uh they're called sentinels okay okay yeah like i have very little memory of them like i probably haven't seen like one and two like since it first came out so <laughs> yeah a lot of people didn't like to and i i, I get it but it, it was a fun action film at least <laughs> sure <laughs> um so yeah the news broke this week too that uh abdul Mantine will actually be playing a young morpheus and we do see him in the trailer uh mm -hmm. how, now how do you feel about that as a big matrix fan um i really enjoyed uh morpheus's uh Morpheus. Wow, I'm calling Lawrence Fishburne fucking Morpheus because that's just how you know connected to the role he was for me in general. But uh, I really enjoyed his performance in the film, so it's it's okay. I I do think Abdul Mateen is a great actor. And I feel like he can easily fill those shoes. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know where the storyline is there. Either the character is like you know just living it up in the human world, or I don't know why he'd be younger in this film. Okay. Uh, my only idea is that maybe. Um, Neo is having some like memories and they're just kind of flooding back and that's kind of him you know trying to reawake himself I don't know because it seems like he's trying to wake Morpheus up in the scene though where Morpheus doesn't remember Neo for some reason so but I mean you could be right I mean who the fuck knows right <laughs> I know this is the that's probably the most confusing part of the trailer it was Morpheus now do you think Lawrence Fishburne is actually in the film like some version of Morpheus I wouldn't be surprised. I, you know, 
I, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be in the film because he's he was a leader. He was a big you know part of those of that trilogy. You know he has these fantastic speeches. So <laughs> um, I really think uh, he was the big part of why you know Neo became Neo. You know he's well, the one that believed in him and. No, I know what you mean, but like I mean, obviously they probably feel like. Fishburne's probably too old to carry on the physicality of the role. The physicality, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they're keeping the character, they're just replacing the actor, you know? I mean, which obviously, you know, anyone's going to have mixed feelings on. But mm -hmm. the story dictates the character, you know, taking part in more action sequences. Like, I understand wanting to recast, unfortunately. I'm just hoping there's a way to at least, you know, somehow get Fishburne in there, too. Because, I mean, it's the Matrix, right? Like, anything's yeah, possible. Well, <laughs> this is something that they didn't really do in the original films, but they could go this route where it's like Ready Player One, where you're picking your own avatar or you're like, if maybe if you have awareness of the Matrix, you can pick how you look in it. And maybe Lawrence Fishburne's on the outside and uh, Mantine's on the inside of the mm -hmm. Matrix. So, and there was a, a brief scene where Keanu's like looking in a mirror and it looks like it like kind of glitches and like there's an older person like mm -hmm. reflecting back at him. So maybe like, you know, the Keanu, the Neo we know is like an avatar. So maybe on that note, that's what's happening there. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's just all fucking, you know, it's, it's a total montage trailer. Uh -huh. So uh, who the hell knows? I mean, at least the trailer looks cool. I can I can at least say that, right? I just don't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm sure there'll be like a story trailer coming out in the next like couple months. Um, the film is due out December 22nd on HBO Max. Well, all right, Damon, we finally got to see our next MCU flick. That's right. We saw Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Warning, Rings. spoiler alert. Minor spoilers for Shang-Chi ahead. You have been warned. And now, our feature presentation. Only talking, making major moves. My father trained me to be the Ten Rings' greatest weapon. On the road to riches, I can never lay around. Oh. That's not who I am. Me against the world, I got my back against the wall. Oh. How did you find me? I always know where my children are. Me against the world, I got my back against the wall. Seems like a nice fella. It's time to show the world. No, I'm hellbound. Oh, well now. Oh, who I really am. No one will ever stop. Martial arts master Shang-Chi confronts the past he thought he left behind when he's drawn into the web of the mysterious Ten Rings organization. This was directed by Destin Daniel Cretton and stars Simu Liu and Aquafina. So obviously due to the global pandemic, we've had to wait a long time for Shang-Chi to finally make his debut on the big screen. But I'm happy to report the wait was definitely worth it. Shang-Chi is a stunning action-packed odyssey that feels like the true start of phase four with the MCU charting new waters for years to come. So the film starts with Shang working as a car valet with his quirky best friend Katie when he's forced out of hiding when his father's organization, the Ten Rings, come to take something precious from him and his estranged sister. Now having no choice to confront his past, Shang-Chi must navigate both his father and his mother's legacies and at the same time start his own. 
So the core story of Shang-Chi is one of both grief and self-discovery. The loss of his mother has torn his family apart, but it's not until Shang-Chi comes face to face with his past that he can find his true purpose and start to heal. On the way to that though, we're introduced to a new corner of the MCU we've yet to explore. The awe-inspiring Talo and all of its grand mythical mysticism is everything you could hope for. Filled with living, breathing dragons and food dogs, it's pure spectacle. Director Destin Daniel Creighton does a fantastic job of creating a rich mythos with layers that I can't wait to see them dig deeper into. On top of that, we get action sequences that just have a different energy to them. Uh, compared to your typical Marvel films. Anchored by top-notch fight choreography that ranges from fierce and explosive to eloquent and breathtaking. And all of this is held together by one of the best ensemble casts Marvel has ever put on the screen. Through performance and script, they manage to make you care about each one of the characters. Wu, played by the great Tony Leung, will undoubtedly sit on top of many all-time great MCU villains lists. A deep layered character who manages to be both terrifying and sympathetic at the same time. You couldn't help but like connect with him at the end of the film. I think my only issue that I bumped up against in the movie was the final battle at the end just felt a little too busy for my tastes. I mean, don't get me wrong, like it was still amazing. I just wish we had a few moments to catch our breath here and there. But with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give Shang-Chi an A-. It's definitely one of Marvel's best origin films. Can't wait to see how Shang-Chi is going to end up fitting into the bigger MCU story arc. And they definitely left plenty of meat on the bone at the end of this for us to speculate on, but we'll do that another time. We're going to we're going to keep this spoiler free. As far as this film goes, director Destin Daniel Creighton just found the perfect blend of action, comedy and drama without those elements stepping all over each other, which as much as I love them, the MCU films has struggled with in the past. Um, but Shang-Chi just felt like the true dawning of a new era in the MCU. Exactly, because you're 100% right. There are a ton of avenues now sprung open by Shang-Chi's ending. But nevertheless, this film on a whole was absolutely enjoyable for me. You know, I found the only thing I picked at were some moments here and there in the fight choreography where the CGI they were using felt a tad off for some of the stunts that they were doing, or almost a little bit too video gamey in its animation in my opinion. But otherwise, the fights were awesome and much more of what I'd expect from a kung fu-like experience, especially after watching a movie like Snake Eyes. On a character front, I thought they all worked so fucking well together. There was just so much chemistry between Simu Liu and Aquafina. You could tell that they were having so much fun while making this film. And like Damon said, Marvel has once again given us, you know, such a well-written villain with the right performer behind it. As Tony Leung knocked it out of the goddamn park. Plus, and you might consider this a minor spoiler, so skip 10 seconds ahead if you want, but I honestly think Disney could pull off a badass kaiju movie after what I saw in this film's third act. And I honestly think the only other real thing I have to complain about is now just me having to wait until the next Marvel experience, because any amount of time after seeing this movie is just too damn long. And it really did get me hyped up for everything that's coming next in Marvel. But for my grade, I think I feel good giving Shang-Chi an A- as well. And I definitely think anyone who hasn't gotten a chance to check it out definitely should go see it in theaters before it is taken out, as this is definitely a massive screen-worthy film.
All right, so Christian, you have another review for us. That's right, I just finished season five of Rick and Morty. Warning spoiler alert. Minor spoilers for season five of Rick and Morty. You have been warned. Oh, that's great logic, Morty. Forgive me for not doing the kissy chef gesture since you probably spilled this shit everywhere and I don't want to teleport my lip. You know what? Replace me. Replace me, Rick. Just do it. I'll see your bluff call and raise you reality. Behold, my wheel of better things than Morty. Come on, anything. Anything but Morty. Let's go. Come on, baby. No whammies. Stop. That's it. Two crows. You're fired. This season of Rick and Morty really saw our duo go separate ways for most of the season, and I don't think I realized just how much the two main characters spent doing their own adventures until we got to the final episode as our duo clung to one another as everything we knew about this show got busted right open. And while yes, we got evil turkey overlords and a giant incest space baby, I think you can see the through line from the start of this season till the end, as we did get to see a Morty you know that has been you know through it all with Rick and kind of getting fed up with the antics at the same time we also got a consistent look into Rick's relationships with family and friends that really opened up more significant lore than we've seen in any of the seasons prior especially in two episodes in particular with Rick dealing with his best friend and also the grand finale this is the season that honestly changes the show and I think will be remembered as perhaps the final part of this you know first chapter in a saga of infinite universes of course with Rick and Morty nothing is set in stone until we get a you know canon explaining episode similar to our season finale and boy speaking of that ending so many things confirmed and explained all in the span of 30 minutes that really you know tears a hole in what we actually know about the Rick and Morty universe and you know without spoiling anything too much I have to say that I think it's a smart decision by the writers to go on this path you know because what it leaves us with now is a show with a true sense of infinite possibilities. And while they most likely don't have a full plan for what Evil Morty just pulled off, I think the show is only going to get vastly more entertaining from here on now that they have the ability to go crazy, to really go out of the box. And that's saying a lot for a show that already has a lot of wild episodes and great uses of improv throughout. I personally was entertained by every episode this season, even the incest baby one, and think they rewarded us with a finale that still has me buzzing with ideas and excitement for the future. So I will be giving this season a solid A, and hopefully they don't fuck this up going forward because there is quite an opportunity here to ruin everything that makes the show great if they do decide to you know, change the rules maybe too much. All right, Christian, it's time for our weekly breakdown of Marvel's What If. This week, we're going to recap probably my most anticipated episode, Episode 5, Zombies. Warning spoiler alert. Major spoilers for Marvel's What If. You have been warned. My mom, dad, Uncle Ben, Mr. Stark. Now happy. I've, I've lost a lot. But my Aunt May says, used to say, that if we don't keep smiling when they can't, then we might as well just be gone too. And, well, they'd want us to keep going. This week in Marvel's quest to traumatize all MCU fans, we got a tale of super-powered zombies, as in this reality, when the Hulk crash lands on Earth to warn everyone of Thanos' arrival, like he did in Infinity War, he isn't actually met by a living version of Wong, Strange, or Tony. No, the confrontation with Ebony Maw plays out quite differently, as he gets attacked by undead Avengers with the full capabilities of their living counterparts, which if zombies weren't terrifying enough on their 
their own. Now you have zombies with the ability to cast spells and use powers. Now, I never personally got into like the Marvel like zombie comic books uh, back in the day, but they were, I mean, they were huge. They were written by Robert Kirkman, who, you know, is the creator of The Walking Dead um, and had a huge fan following. Uh, but I know that's also the case in those books where they're able to access their powers. Although I do feel like in the comics, they're able to speak also, which we don't see that here in this episode, which I was kind of surprised by because, you know, hey, if you're intelligent enough to like use your you know, super abilities, you would think that they would just go that next level and allow them to also speak. So I was a little disappointed that wasn't the case in this episode, but that's pretty much all I was disappointed with. Because <laughs> this was just fat fucking tastic, man. The grim reality of this scene is also intensified by the fact that the Hulk is still remaining dormant inside Bruce Banner at, at this time after his confrontation with Thanos on the ship. And we also quickly learn how fast the zombie infection is spreading as Ebony Ma and Cal Obsidian turn into zombies in mere seconds of being attacked by Wong, Tony, and Strange. But before all is lost, the Cloak of Levitation makes a daring rescue alongside the aid of Hope Van Dyne, who uses a swarm of ants to render the remaining flesh of these zombified heroes to practically nothing. Holy shit, what a moment. Like, this goes a long way to show you just how powerful, like, Hope and Ant-Man really are. Like, if they can uh, use their powers to do this shit, <laughs> pretty fucked up, right? Do you think they're just getting them, like, extra, like, you know, maybe making them a little bit more scary for Quantumania, like, you know, showing that they're really badasses? No, I think it works for their scope of powers. I just think Scott would never, you know, use his powers in this way or even imagine mm -hmm. to use his powers, you know, in this way, just because, you know, he's such a good guy. No, exactly. Like if I had, you know, coming out of like Ant-Man 2, I never would have thought to see anything where the, you know, this team of people would be killing people with a giant swarm of ants in this matter. Let alone to get an animated series from Marvel that is like this dark and violent. Yes. <laughs> this is like the third episode in yes. a row that is just like extremely dark. But I don't know. It's I mean, it's a welcome surprise. So I'm not, I'm not going to complain. <laughs> <laughs> After which, Bruce actually gets saved by Spider-Man swinging off into the distance. But then we get some information from the Watcher as we learn how this world's terrible fate came to be. It turns out when Hank Pym traveled into the quantum realm to find his wife, it would seem this version of Janet Van Dyme got infected with a quantum virus and ended up attacking Hank, only spreading it further as when they got out of the quantum realm, the feast was truly on. Even the Avengers were ill prepared for Hank and Janet's ruthless quantum infection and ended up succumbing to it, leaving the world with little to no heroes to help stop the spread. I love how like once again, the root of this universe's apocalypse all stems back to the fucking Pims. <laughs> I wonder if they're like setting something up for like, you know, the MCU proper. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, Pim, like we talked about in the past, like he is kind of like the black sheep of the Avengers. So mm. I'm not surprised that he's being portrayed this way. It's just something that we didn't really see in like the film. This is when we're introduced to our survivors as Peter gives Bruce, a, you know, this kind of orientation video highlighting how to survive a zombie apocalypse. Our team of heroes consisting of Happy Hogan, Sharon Carter, Bucky Barnes, Okoye, um, Kurt from Ant-Man and the Wasp, Hope Van Dyne, 
Spider-Man and the Cloak of Levitation are all seen in Peter's vlog, which gives you kind of the rundown of how to survive, you know, not giving off a scent, you know, how this virus is transmitted by fluids, and of course the best way to take them out being a blow to the head. It also seems at this time they've built this kind of base out of trains and using Spider-Man's webs to uh, keep everything suspended high up in the sky. So apparently Spidey's webs don't dissolve after a certain amount of time. In, in the MCU. Yeah, and, and they're definitely reinforced, huh? <laughs> right? <laughs> I like how Peter's uh, video was definitely an homage to Zombieland. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I I liked the, you know, ragtag aspect of the group. I don't know how Kurt made the cut, especially when you have all these <laughs> other, like, amazing, like, characters to choose from. And, you uh... know, we get stuck with fucking Kurt from Ant-Man and the Wasp, but whatever. <laughs> On the flip side of that, though, I was really happy to see Okoye kind of like have this leadership role and get more screen time. Exactly, and I definitely enjoyed just like the dialogue between all these characters because it is just such a ragtag group. Yeah, like, right. I never expect any of these guys to interact. Uh -huh. <laughs> Kurt. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> That's not even like the main guy from that film, the main like side right? character. Oh, yeah. I don't... <laughs> While at the base, Okoye and Hope receive a transmission from the first shield base in Camp Lehigh, New Jersey. This transmission claiming a cure has been found. And of course, believing in this message, they pack up into this you know shrinkable van from Ant-Man and make their way to Grand Central Station in an attempt to use the trains as a way to get to the base. At Grand Central, they have to figure out how to get these trains running again, which of course leads to the group splitting up. Cause you know, this world just happens to run on horror movie rules. Well, because of the split up, the different groups get ambushed by zombies. Most notably, Hawkeye and Falcon are amongst the zombies. The ensuing battle for survival leads to the death of Happy Hogan and also forces Bucky to take on Falcon and kill his undead partner. Though he does note in this scene, he didn't feel bad for doing it. I I absolutely loved uh, Happy Hogan having to like say blam every time he fired the Iron Man gauntlet at the zombies. Uh -huh. I thought that was such a nice touch. Uh, and it sounded like they actually got John Favreau to voice the role, uh, which is awesome. So, uh, but yeah, no, the, I was I was really sad to see him go, you know, I mean, we were only with mm. him for a short period of time, but I was hoping to, you know, have him make it to the end. And I do like that, you know, they actually showed the characters like affected you know, by his yes. death. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, with only like 20 some minutes an episode, um, it's hard to fit all those like emotional beats in, but they definitely took their time here, but they really made sure they got those in and that's just good storytelling. After Spider-Man and company narrowly escaped Grand Central Station, it becomes very clear that they didn't get away from all the undead Avengers as Sharon Carter is attacked by zombie Steve Rogers. Bucky is again forced to go up against a friend and ultimately uses Cap's shield to cut him in half. But behind Bucky, Sharon turns quickly and as Hope Van Dyne goes to investigate the commotion, she panics and shrinks down into Sharon's mouth and grows back out from inside, causing Carter's body to explode. This is when we learn that Hope had an open wound on her arm and, you know, having now been slathered in zombie guts means she's now probably going to be infected. Poor Sharon. This is such a shitty way to go. <laughs> you get bitten by your, you know, zombified 
kind of boyfriend that's really you know awkward and uncomfortable because you know he's also you know in love with your aunt Uh (laughs) Um, (laughs) and then to have one of your friends like you know basically explode you from the inside um yeah it's just a shitty way to go uh but once again it shows you the whole thanos you know up the old poop shoot like theory would have you know definitely worked should have aimed for the ass huh In Hope's darkest hour, Spider-Man is able to bring her some form of comfort as he shows his heart and what it means to him, you know, being a hero and how he's able to smile in the face of great loss and pain. So during this speech, this is the first time we ever hear Peter talk about Uncle Ben. Yes. Right? Like, because that really stuck out to me. I was like, oh, okay, we're just going to drop Uncle Ben's name now. <laughs> you know, after how many movies? I mean, we do see his name on the on the suitcase, right? Mm-hmm. But that's it. Like, they neither him or Aunt May do mention Ben by name, right? No. Yeah, they never say it out loud. They've never brought it up. Well, at least this confirms that he's somewhat canon. I know this is like an alternate reality um Uh and i guess like you know peter in our mcu could have you know gotten his like suitcase from the salvation army or something it'll be interesting to see in like no way home if they actually do end up bringing up uncle ben especially if we do get the other two spider-men like Mm -hmm. in the film you know is that a conversation they eventually have with him oh my god is it a fixed point in time is it something that has to happen <laughs> that would make sense because you know without that event happening you don't have this version of spider-man i guess you could have some arrogant like you know version of the character who becomes like a wwe like superstar but <laughs> i'm sure vince would love that or no vince would probably turn him down and say he's too small oh, exactly you know so i guess he'd be over on the AEW. <laughs> That seems to be where everyone's going anyway, so. But anyway, uh. <laughs> we're talking what if. And when the group reaches their next roadblock, as you know, the train runs out of fuel and is now surrounded by a horde of zombies, Wasp decides to make this kind of ultimate sacrifice and turn giant to carry them over this horde. So was it just me, but like after we just witnessed everything like Wasp is capable of, like once she got infected, like was I the only one who was like, you better fucking shoot her in the head right now. <laughs> I just get this over with. She's way too dangerous to become a zombie. Like, you don't want to have to deal with that. So when they do, like, come up with this plan for a giant wasp to carry them over and then to, you know, probably get devoured by this army of zombies, I was like, well, you better have, like, a bomb implanted in her helmet <laughs> to, like, take her out because you don't want to have to deal with a giant fucking zombie wasp. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, this is I mean, an awful idea. <laughs> you're not wrong. Like, we had already seen, like, Hank's the one that bit uh, Captain America. You know, we've seen how dangerous they can be with these pin particles. So imagine a giant fucking wasp just running around. I was like, you got to be kidding me. They're not going to allow her to just say giant, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> right. 
Finally at the shield base, we find out it was Vision who had been working on a cure all along. Using the Mind Stone, he has been able to keep zombies at bay, though they're not actually interested in him anyway since he's an android. Using the Mind Stone, it seems that Vision can actually reverse the effects of the infection as we then get a reveal in this living, breathing, decapitated Scott Lang, who was one of the first to get infected after Janet returned from the Quantum Realm. Yeah, Scott's head being in a jar was, you know, spoiled in one of the trailers. A real nice, like, comedic nod to Futurama. Um, mm -hmm. Here's the thing that I didn't understand about their plan. So would the Mind Stone reverse the effects of the plague? Because, like, some of these zombies are, like, rotting. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much, like, if they had shown Scott Lang, like, how what he looked like beforehand to mm -hmm. now after the Mind Stones affected him. Because, I mean, it is it is an Infinity Stone. Who knows how, like, Powerful much it could it possibly yeah. change them. But I doubt that that's what he did. You know? Yeah, because I was like, some of those people probably don't want to be cured. They just probably uh -huh. want to be put out of their misery. <laughs> Uh. Though even having figured out a cure, Vision seems apprehensive to use the Mind Stone on the entire world, stating humans don't have the technology to broadcast a signal like that anyway. But Okoye reassures him that they have the technology to broadcast him everywhere in Wakanda. This leads to the team once again splitting up to find transportation. While Bucky goes through the facility, Bruce, who is still with Spider-Man, Scott, Okoye, and Vision, notices that others have actually been here to respond to Vision's signal. And at the same time, Bucky discovers a somewhat dormant zombie Scarlet Witch being contained right next to a very wounded T'Challa who's been strapped to a hospital bed near her. And just like that, the truth comes out as it is revealed that Vision had been using the signal to lure people to the facility so that he could feed Wanda. When asked how come he didn't just cure her, Vision states with her abilities she is able to resist his treatment and his love for her won't allow him to kill her. So this just goes to show if the shoe was on the other foot in WandaVision and it was like Vision who lost Scarlet Witch, he would end up being just as batshit crazy as Wanda. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. right. Like they, they're just the MCU's worst fucking couple. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like he's feeding Black Panther to her, you know, and yeah, who and knows how many other heroes. Just picked him up out of New York, he said, and just brought him there. That's yeah. horrible. <laughs> <laughs> he's just cutting him in pieces to feed to one. Yeah, pretty oh messed up. And how scary is a zombie version of the Scarlet Witch? terrified because i mean it depends on how much she has going on in her head like I, i'm imagining a a version of her that can like speak and stuff would be just altering reality at any mm -hmm. point you yeah. know i can't imagine like a zombie version of her an evil zombie version of her yeah because we do see wong is able to like manifest his powers and everything yes. same with strange so yeah, I don't know. Just bad news all around. I mean, you wouldn't think that an android, a logical thinking android like Vision would be capable of making a choice like this. But this is just like another one of those like classic zombie movie like tropes that Marvel seems to be playing with like throughout this episode. You know, there's always that one character who just can't say goodbye to a loved one. You mm -hmm. know, so why not Vision, right? 
But like I said, I mean, the MCU's worst fucking couple. Jesus. And as Vision, you know, revels in the darkness of his choices, the group doesn't get too long to actually scold him. As Wanda awakens and goes on a warpath, killing Kurt and Okoye as they attempt to escape. Vision, still grasping on all of this, you know, all of his horrible actions, buries Wanda in rubble and in order to give Bruce and company the Mind Stone, actually rips it out of his own head. This, for me, felt like Vision, you know, came to his senses maybe a little too quickly like after all the you know messed up choices he made you know <laughs> at the start of this apocalypse but i'm sure you know once again they're they're dealing with like a what like a 25 minute runtime so it yeah, is it is what it is you know they can only do so much storytelling in that time frame exactly because i mean there's no way that like a living breathing t'challa just like tell him like why why are you doing this like yes. try to break through to him if anyone could like talk <laughs> you know some sense of division it'd be t'challa so exactly but man what a traumatizing scene too watching vision like rip the mind stone out of his own skull <laughs> I know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Marvel's not fucking around with what if. No. <laughs> It's not long, though, till Wanda is back up, and Bucky ends up sacrificing himself fighting Wanda. As Wanda moves on to Bruce now, Hulk finally shows himself, giving the rest of them time to get away as the two of them go to blows. I could see, like, if they chose to continue this, like, story, like, in another episode or in another season, how Bucky could have possibly lived since he had, mm. like, the shield and everything with him, too. Um... But I was really disappointed that we didn't get to see like a zombie Hulk here. <laughs> There's only a, a couple other like characters in the Marvel Universe that would be more frightening than a zombie Hulk. Yes. I mean, we didn't really see either of them die on camera. So there's an option for both of them to technically yeah, be alive. After that this, is so. true. We don't see Bruce actually die. So mm -hmm. and I do feel like we're going to eventually revisit the story. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Flying past a giant Hope Van Dyne, Scott, Peter, and T'Challa contemplate being the final three to stand against the zombified world as its last Avengers. But Peter, who had been consistently a beacon of hope through this episode, once more proclaims that they will save it, now holding the Mind Stone. But the episode would actually leave us on a much darker cliffhanger as waiting for our team at Wakanda is a zombie Thanos with a gauntlet missing only one stone. Chadwick was such a great actor. The fact that he was able to give this amazing performance in this, like, you know, 10 second scene in this, like, completely, like, batshit crazy episode of, you know, Marvel's first animated series. It just once again, like, amplified what a huge loss his death was. So I was really happy that we got a glimpse of a zombie Thanos. Like once mm -hmm. I realized that this episode was taking place in the very beginning of Infinity War, I was like, oh, we've got to see Thanos. And sure enough, we got that payoff at the end. Now, the question is, you know, do we revisit this universe? Well, I mean, if there was ever a reason to put together a, you know, multiverse version of the Avengers, I would think a zombie version of Thanos with right. all the stones would probably be it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't know if they've established whether or not the stones work in different realities like if you can bring the stones from one reality and they'll work the same mm. in another reality I, I feel like in the comics they it doesn't work that way 
But you're absolutely right. Like, what would be a bigger threat to the multiverse than a zombie version of Thanos with all the Infinity Stones? And I also get back to this thought of like, okay, but we also have a Nexus being just running around now that's a zombie. And I'm just wondering, like, would would Scarlet Witch have any like reason to alter reality? Because she did actually react to the Vision being dead in that scene. Mm-hmm. You know, when she saw the body without the Mind Stone, she still reacted the same. So I'm like, okay, like where. <laughs> Where's the line of thought for these zombies? Like what what like cause would what would Thanos want to do at this point with the gauntlet as a zombie? Would he just want everyone to be infected? What, what what's his like dream goal? I'm I'm just curious. Would he actually, what are these people? Would he actually like double the population yeah. so he could feast, right? <laughs> and you're absolutely right about the Scarlet Way, because we've seen like how well like our version of Wanda deals with grief. But like <laughs> How well is a zombie version of Wanda going to handle something like this? And with only four episodes left, I mean, you're kind of running out of time to, like, tell that story of, like, who put this team together? Why is this team together? Do you feel like that's more of a story that they're going to tell in the second season of the series? Um. Yeah, I mean, you're right, because, I mean, we do have a Thor episode coming. We have that episode with Killmonger still to happen, which, I mean, then leaves only two episodes left that I'm not 100 percent aware of what's going to happen in. And, you know, it's maybe the team kind of forms in the finale. And then, you know, we're left with a cliffhanger um, for the second season. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. Um, And then you have the second season where there's more of a like, you know, story through line throughout all the episodes, Mm -hmm. you know, following this group. Unless that's just a one off. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, maybe everyone's putting like way too much weight on this whole idea of the multiverse like Avengers team. It's very possible. (laughs) Well, that's kind of the fun of all this, right? Yeah, I guess I get. We'll find out in the next episode, right? See where they're going there. If there's any more through line, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure to join us next week for that one, then. And now a message from our sponsor, Manscaped. Attention, listeners across the galaxy, all the way from Australia to Houston. Do we have a pew problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new lawnmower 4.0. Blast your pube to the next planet with the Performance Package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job from the leaders in male grooming. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code AMAZING. Christian, I'm a hairy bastard. And one day my wife said enough's enough and got me my very own Manscaped lawnmower. I went from being a Wookiee to being as smooth as Lando. So you know my Bad Batch was more than ready for the next mission when I got my lawnmower 4.0. Ready for an out-of-world experience, fellas? Look no further than the Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped that has just taken off in not only the US, but Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver, ball deodorant, 
Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold your whole solar system. First scheduled for liftoff, new Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. This spaceship is here to guide you on a journey to trim your body, balls, butt, and even your anus. This fourth generation trimmer also features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch, can engage a travel lock, and is even waterproof. The Lawnmower 4.0 also has a 4000K LED spotlight you can turn on and off when needed for a more precise shave throughout your travels across the universe. The Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker. It's like having a little astronaut to chop your worst weeds in your nose and ears. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and uses a 9000 RPM motor powered 360 degree rotary dual blade system. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides skin safe technology which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. Don't forget to use the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver to help your little planets be on their A-game while feeling the sun's heat. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Abort Harry Balls and Buzz Lightyear that Woody with Manscaped. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use our code 20AMAZING. That's 20AMAZING to unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Well, now it's time for Christian's Corner. This week in gaming, we got a press conference that honestly made me feel like a kid again as Sony went big with announcements and trailers for their PlayStation Showcase. You know, story and single player experiences were front and center at this year's showcase with plenty of new IP to get excited about. It honestly reminded me of what it felt like to watch, you know, an E3 when I was growing up because it was, it was all just these great examples of, you know, the full power of these brand new consoles now being utilized by these great game studios. And now that we're seeing it today with you know how these developers are using the ps5 i was absolutely mind blown at this and it's also exactly the kind of press that sony needs after some you know harsh criticisms about their redesign with the new console and for those who are unaware of what i'm talking about the playstation 5 has had a minor redesign mostly for cost efficiency but unfortunately what they decided to go cheaper on was the heatsink which will overall affect the longevity of this console one of the biggest complaints about Sony's consoles over the years have always been, you know, overheating. And it seemed like they had finally built a console with that in mind. So it's pretty disheartening to see them kind of roll back on something that was so important, you know, this huge change that they made for the PS5 and it ultimately being more heat resistant and having better performance because of that. But anyway, I'm not just here to, you know, rag on the console changes that they've made, but I do think it's important that these consumers that are now probably gonna be more excited to buy a console know that they're going to get get a you know downgraded version of what was originally released 
but unfortunately if you don't buy a ps5 you might actually miss out on what looks to be an incredible lineup coming its way right off the bat with this event we were teased you know with the confirmation of a rumor we actually talked about last month with aspire actually remaking knights of the old republic you know getting just a short glimpse of darth revan before giving us the title of the game and though they didn't really show anything of the actual game um, it's still exciting to know that the rumors were actually true in the end also marvel had this massive presence at the showcase not only did we get a little bit more of a glimpse of guardians of the galaxy and its story and your choices and stuff like that we also got the next two projects from insomniac you know the team behind marvel spider-man and oh boy was i not prepared to find out that on top of getting spider-man 2 we're getting a wolverine game again this was a short cgi trailer but having enjoyed what you know insomniac did with spider-man and miles morales i can't help but get excited for the potential of this game but speaking of miles and pete we got a glimpse of what's coming in the awaited sequel to marvel spider-man as we hear a monologue by most likely none other than craven the hunter looking for a more challenging prey and an even scarier voice ends up showing up as we see the face of venom who may actually be the biggest bad of this game as the logo is stylized more like the venom spider suit but we also know from the comics that the black suit spider-man is also a big part of craven's last hunt. so i can see why the logo would be more focused on a venom suit Though because the game was featuring both Miles and Pete, there are a lot of people assuming that there could be a co-op element to the game. However, I think it's more likely that you'll just be able to choose between, you know, who you're playing as interchangeably. And of course, you know, they will have their own separate side missions just as a way to like create more content for the game. Now, is it possible for them to do a co-op thing in the future? Maybe I see that as more of a DLC option rather than the main focus for this game since, you know, single player was the bread and butter of this franchise so far. But hey, that's just a prediction, and we still have plenty of time. You know, we have over a year to wait for this next Spider-Man game as it is set to launch in 2023 and will be PS5 exclusive. But some of the other exciting elements of this event were the titles I knew very little to nothing about. Sony has some very cool new IP heading its way in games like Project Eve, Ghostwire Tokyo, and Forspoken, all three of which I just mentioned having unbelievable gameplay and graphics shown off during this event. Forspoken absolutely being breathtaking made me want to immediately save up for a PS5. If you haven't caught any of these trailers yet, you need to see them. You can catch my actual live reaction as well on our Twitch channel. But something that I did mention during those live reactions was that one of the more exciting things about a you know Microsoft conference is knowing that 90% of those games are coming to PC while PlayStation kind of holds tight on their exclusives. But for those of you that do want an actual you know Sony experience on your PC, you will actually get a chance with the release of Uncharted Legacy of Thieves collection coming to PS5 and PC as it is slated for a early 2022 release. And just when I thought they couldn't give me anything more during this press conference, they just had to end it on the highest of notes by showing off a jaw, and I mean jaw fucking dropping trailer of God of War Ragnarok. Our boy Atreus, aka Loki, is growing up and asking questions as the duo kind of is trying to avoid all the conflict that will come with Ragnarok. And it also seems like no matter what, this road will lead to some big conflict and it seems like they might have to go and find this world's version of the God of War to assist them. The game itself has been reported to have nine realms this time. You know, they're taking six of the old ones, kind of revamping them, and then also giving 
showing us three new ones. One of them actually being Asgard. So I really can't wait to just fuck around in the halls of Asgard. We also got our first looks at a now pissed off Freya and the official design of Thor, which has gotten a little bit of pushback by people. I guess they were expecting more of a jacked, you know, Chris Hemsworth model than a big strongman look. Though I feel like the game's design is a little more accurate to a Norse god than Marvel's portrayal. And also there was a first look at a potential love interest for Loki as his mythological mate Angbroda is actually seen in this trailer as well. It's also been said that this game is a conclusion to the Norse mythology chapter of God of War, which is actually surprising to think, but if this completes the tale that they wanted to give us, I have no problem and I have no reason to complain. I just can only imagine that Sony is probably going to want a trilogy or some way to continue on this franchise as it has been so successful. Though there are plenty of mythological worlds for Kratos to fuck up, if they so choose. All in all, I'm looking forward to this game and hopefully it makes its release window of 2022, but you never know these days. But those were all the you know biggest things from this event in my eyes. You know, as I said, I was very impressed by this showcase. You know, they really put an emphasis on needing to buy the, their hardware if you want to play one of these fantastic new games. And honestly, it's something I may have to consider at this point. I don't know how much life is in my PS4. You know, every time I turn it on, on, it, it really does sound like an engine jet. I'm not kidding. You know, those memes are all telling the truth. This thing sounds like it's going to blow up every single time I play, you know, the WWE games on here. And unfortunately, I still can't play Sony games on PC the way I would with an Xbox game. But we'll see how much longer that lasts with Xbox continuing to have so much success with having an uh, PC app and stuff like that. But all right, until then, you can join me live every Thursday through Sunday at 12 noon Central Time. Make sure to follow us on Twitch for all your gaming coverage and gameplay. But before we move on to wrestling, here's another word from our sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by Smile Brilliant. Damon, if you're like me, you're constantly on the lookout for the best teeth whitening option on the market. Well, this week's sponsor, Smile Brilliant, has provided us with five important facts to keep in mind. Fact number one, teeth whitening does not whiten your teeth. It removes the stains and restores the tooth to its natural color. Natural colors vary per person, but for most, it's an off-white or slightly yellowish undertone. Fact number two, teeth whitening does not damage your teeth, but it does temporarily dehydrate them. When dehydrated, the pores in the enamel are open and exposed. Open pores invite acids and sugars, which we all know lead to tooth decay. Avoid or minimize acidic and sugary substances for at least 24 hours after whitening. Also avoid staining substances. The teeth are more susceptible to restaining during this period. Fact number three, tooth sensitivity is the result of tooth dehydration. When the pores of the enamel are open, the teeth become dehydrated, exposing the nerve to the elements. As the tooth rehydrates, the sensitivity will dissipate. To accelerate the rehydration and curb sensitivity, use a post-whitening application known as remineralization or desensitizing gel. Fact number four, Caps and veneers cannot be whitened because they do not have pores for the stains to latch onto. Prior to having dental work, you should whiten your teeth, restoring them to their natural color as the dentist will be color matching to your current shade. Fact five, the key to teeth whitening is the delivery device. So long as a whitening product is a peroxide based whitener, it will remove the stains. What differentiates one product from the next is the device that holds the whitening agent to the tooth without interruption. You know, whitening strips neglect the crevices and molars and they slide on 
on your teeth. Saliva will flood the generic trays because they are bulky and don't create an actual seal. Oh, and you likely did not know this, but LED lights are novelty items that add no benefits. You need a high output UV light only found at the dentist. Don't fall for the you know gimmick. If you insist on a light that does not work, get one on Amazon for $5. The number one whitening device recommended by Dennis is the custom fitted tray. You can have a dentist make your trays for $300 to $600, or you can head over to smilebrilliant.com and use their lab direct mail-in process for a fraction of the price you would pay at a dentist. Oh, and if you grind your teeth at night, you can also purchase a Smile Brilliant custom fitted night guard. Once again, for a fraction of the price you would spend at a dentist. That's right. Make sure you head over to Smile Brilliant and use our promo code NERD. That spells nerd for an exclusive Amazing Nerd Show discount. Once again, that's smilebrilliant.com and use our coupon code NERD for an exclusive Amazing Nerd Show discount. And remember, guys, don't be an idiot. Smile Brilliant. I am a wrestler. I never left wrestling. I took wrestling wherever I went. And now I am here to goddamn wrestle. All right, Christian, we're coming off All Out Weekend. And what a historic weekend it was. Not only did we get the in-ring return of CM Punk, but we got three, three giant debuts in AEW. That's right. AEW truly went all out this pay-per-view. You're already trying to ruin the fucking review, Christian. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> They're stupid puns. All right. <laughs> On that note, let's go ahead and jump right into the card. Uh, neither of us saw the uh, buy-in. Uh, wh- who was wrestling, Christian? It was the best friends, uh, along with Jurassic Express, going up against, uh, what the fuck are they called? A Hardy Family Office. Gotcha. HFO. Got got you. (laughs) Uh, And the buy-in was originally supposed to be the Casino Battle Royal, which I actually thought was a huge mistake, just knowing, you know, that Ruby was supposed to debut, um, because you don't want to do that in the pre-show. Because uh, no. I don't care what the hell they call it. It's still a fucking pre-show. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. And that that was moved up because of Andrade and Pac being moved to uh, Rampage because of travel issues. Now, it sounds like the travel issues was just a storyline to move them off the card, apparently. Um, huh. Yeah, that's what that's the rumor, at least. I don't know if that's true or not. So, but yeah, that's going to end up being on Rampage this Friday. I mean, it's going to be a hell of a match. So I'm not, I'm yes. not angry at that. I mean, in this card, there was a pl- there was plenty going on. So, uh, but yeah, no, uh, I know during this match, uh, the heels did attempt to cut Orange Cassidy's hair. So I'm guessing we're probably headed towards a hair versus hair match between Matt Hardy and Orange Cassidy. Does that appeal to you at all, Christian? Not particularly. That was pretty- I don't think they'll do anything to hard. <laughs> I'm not to uh, to Orange Cassidy's appearance anyway. Yeah, and that was pretty much Orange Cassidy's response. Uh, on dynamite tonight uh when he was told exactly what was happening with matt hardy wanting to cut his hair so uh it does feel like a gimmick you know match for the sake of a gimmick match Hmm. but there's nothing wrong with a good old-fashioned hair versus hair match i'm wondering if matt really wants to get his hair cut though 
I can see it. I, I feel like it'll just be another transformation for the character, right? At, yeah. At that point. I just don't know <laughs> if I've seen Matt with his hair short hmm. in the last, like, 20 years. So that should be odd. But, I mean, like you said, <laughs> he'll probably boy. just he'll probably just turn into a new character. Uh-huh. All right. Anyway, who won this match? Uh, the Best Friends and Jurassic Express won the match by submission. All right. All right. So let's go ahead and let's move on to the main card. But you know what? Before we get into it, man, I've got to say this audience was fucking red hot. Like one of the best like crowds I've seen in a wrestling show Absolutely. in a very long time. And I'm not just saying that because we're from Chicago. Like, I mean, Tony Khan could literally get in the middle of the ring and take a fucking shit and this crowd would put it over. <laughs> so like, <laughs> luckily that didn't happen. But like, uh-huh. I mean, this this crowd was as much a part of the show as like the wrestlers. So just amazing. Well done, Chicago. Exactly. I mean, they didn't turn against a single segment. So, you know, there was no wrestler that was like booed for the wrong reason or cheered for the wrong reason. It was it was perfect. All right. Well, what was our first match, Christian? Well, first up, Miro defeated Eddie Kingston, retaining his AEW TNT championship. Uh, first of all, how over is Eddie Kingston? Extremely. <laughs> as he's been for like months. It's insane. Huge pop. Huge pop. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, I mean, to the point where it's like, like, how do you not put the belt on him? You know, like it, he's so fucking over. No, right. Um, this was a great match. Uh, I loved every second of it. Super hard hitting. Mm-hmm. I really thought Eddie was going to win here. Miro does such a great job, like shining up his opponents and like mm-hmm. making them feel like real contenders, like no matter who he's like facing, he's just really generous in the ring because a lot of big power guys aren't that way. But Miro will fucking sell for you. Um, and he did that here for Eddie. Um, I, I just love the dynamic between these two guys. No, yeah, they work very well. And as you said, I mean, we've seen matches where you think Miro is going to be total dominant like squash the hell out of them and by the end yeah he he's definitely done that mm-hmm. but you know he just does a great job of highlighting whoever he's in the ring with and I, and and with an opponent like eddie kingston who's white fucking hot as you said i mean yeah this just worked so well these two styles are so great together and i kind of want to see more to be honest i want to see more matches between the two of them who knows i mean maybe they do like a rematch at arthur ash I mean, since maybe. it's New York and, you know, Eddie's mm-hmm. hometown, maybe he ends up winning the title there. Uh, but I mean, that now that match hasn't even been announced yet. So <laughs> it's Wednesday. I watched Dynamite. That did not happen on this show. In fact, we only got like a video promo from Miro and I don't think Eddie was on at all. So mm. um, if they are going to do that match, you know, they'll have to book it, you know, in the next like week or so. So uh, we'll see if they go in that direction, though, because I don't know who like would be next for Miro. And it seems like Miro's actually just legitimately like calling people out because you remember it was Miro who uh, yes. called out Kingston, <laughs> which is weird. <laughs> but he is the redeemer, goddammit. So, all right. So, what do we have next, Christian? Well, up next, we have Eddie Kingston's buddy, John Moxley, defeating Satoshi Kojima by pinfall. So, I was really surprised that these matches like happened back to back because they're so similar in styles, just like super mm-hmm. fucking hard hitting. Uh, 
But you know what? With this crowd, it didn't fucking matter. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like you didn't have to have that usual like smorgasbord of like different styles that AEW is like is known for. Like, you know, two like smash mouth matches like back to back. Like it worked completely fine. Um, And I I thought this was a solid match. Uh, I thought Kojima really fucking shined here. Actually, I thought Moxley did a better job putting over Kojima than, you know, they do in New Japan at times. And I know, you know, he's older. They kind of treat him like, you know, he's part of like that senior like class. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they're respectful. But like, I felt like Moxley just put him over as like a beast in this match. Um, I thought it was really well done. And it was great to see like Kojima like get all of his shit in. Like you're saying, I mean, I think, you know, Moxley always was talented when he was in WWE and stuff like that. But here, you know, we've just seen him on a different level. And he's just, you know, shown so much respect for wrestling in these matches as well. Uh, yeah, Kojima looked great. I, I, I had no complaints with this match. Um, but it was what happened afterward that I was more excited about. Yes, our first holy shit moment. All of a sudden, we see King Flash on the big screen, and then we hear the sweet music of Suzuki as he makes his way into AEW for the first time, and hopefully not the last. Yes. Uh, the crowd <laughs> went fucking nuts, started singing along with the song. Um, it was just an amazing moment. I wasn't expecting this at all. Like, if this just happened on like any like pay-per-view, it would be a big deal, but the fact that it was happening on this pay-per-view where we had all this other shit happening uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> was just pretty fucking outlandish but it worked man and the spot was great between the two of them you know just laughing back and forth yes. you know taking it to one another absolutely just two madmen just striking one another it was great and to see him actually stand tall too was awesome yes yes um and you know i when he came out i did like question i was like why wasn't this the match on all uh-huh. out um but it turns out that moxley really wanted to face him in his hometown of cincinnati which is where gotcha. dynamite took place tonight so we're recording mm. this on wednesday by the way um but yeah so and they had they main evented the show it was amazing uh the crowd was super into it i mean they were going back and forth just beating the shit out of each other uh at one point it looked like uh Suzuki uh, busted open hard way and I swear to god man if I was Moxley and I accidentally busted open Suzuki I would fucking run (laughs) 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 that man fucking terrifies the living hell out of me Uh, Uh but no it was a a great match Uh, Suzuki did the honors for Moxley in his hometown Uh, Moxley did not give him the traditional like bow at the end like he literally rolled out of the ring and Moxley like started flicking him off so <laughs> so i'm guessing the story will move on i actually was kind of half expecting moxley to lose to him just because i know moxley won in japan um you know so mm, i thought okay. maybe they'd want to keep this going you know f- you know for moxley's eventual return to japan but that wasn't the case here i was wondering how crazy it would have been if zach saber jr had also jo- like jumped in and started like showing up well i was surprised that lance archer didn't come out with him Oh, because they Mm -hmm. did make reference uh, tonight on commentary that Archer is part of Suzuki Goon. So I don't know if that's still like technically like so I don't know if New Japan is still like recognizing him as part like of that stable. I was wondering. Yeah. Hmm. So that's interesting. So maybe he'll just like jump right back in. Um, 
you know, hey, whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to tonight's match. Um, it was it was awesome. The reception that Moxley got in his hometown. Like, I mean, it wasn't like CM Punk level, but like, you know, Moxley mm-hmm. hasn't been gone for seven years either. <laughs> but it was a huge reaction after he won. Like, he basically like worked the crowd. Like, he went into the crowd, was just walking back and forth to the point where I was like, did you guys end the match like early or something? Like, do you really have this much time <laughs> left? Because it went, he was like walking the crowd for a good, like, almost like two, three minutes, it felt like, just like posing with people and everything. You could really tell, like, it was a big deal for Moxley to have this match in Cincinnati. But anyway, back to the pay-per-view. Yes, up next, we had everyone's favorite dentist, Dr. Britt Baker, retaining her title against Chris Statlander, winning by submission. Um, This match, I was kind of worried for Statlander, you know, coming out the bat. I thought, you know, they were going to boo her at this point after everything that they've been through. No, they were behind her, and they even got further behind her throughout this match. Yes, yes. And I got to give a lot of credit to Britt. Um... You know, I think she was really trying to put over, you know, Statlander, um, and I think it worked. Statlander had some huge moments in the match, really like showing off her skills and her strength, especially. Um, mm-hmm. And even though she lost the match, I felt like, you know, it didn't hurt her at all in the crowd's eyes. I feel like she got over and losing which is hard to do yes oh we also got an amazing moment with orange cassidy finally showing some true emotion and <laughs> yeah right like firing up and everything which i uh-huh. i was like holy shit um and the crowd pops for it big time uh-huh. and i think that helped really like get getting the like crowd like behind like statlander no i absolutely agree i definitely think there's a future for her to be women's champion, you know, going forward. Yeah, yeah, just not yet. But all right, up next, we had a match for the AEW World Tag Team Championship inside a steel cage with the Lucha Brothers defeating the Young Bucks. This was absolutely the match of the night, uh, which I think we both predicted would be the case. Um, yes. <laughs> I was really curious with this match because it's basically tornado rules. You know, and not Mm. that, you know, the Lucha Brothers are ever worried about, like, tag team rules. But (laughs) with being in a cage, like, you can't work your, like, you know, comeback moments or, you know, your your shine moments and everything. Like, you know, you don't have those hope moments kind of built in. Mm -hmm. So it's really a testament to, like, both team skills that they had such a, like, great, like, psychologically sound match in the confines of this cage um you know because there were huge moments in this match there was definitely like a through line thread that was going on it wasn't just a spot fast regardless of what fucking people are saying like it was one of the better cage matches i've ever seen and i just love the fact that aew doesn't do the bullshit fucking escape the cage shit that wwe does thank god you know they're very old school in the way like you know they do cage matches i do wish their cage was a, a tad bit shorter because that thing just (laughs) fucking terrifies me Um, Uh (laughs) but they definitely use the cage right you know and it's all about like you know keeping the opponents inside and keeping everyone else outside you know and they 
usually keep it for like blood feuds. So yeah. uh, the fact that like, you know, for the last like month or two, like the Young Bucks have had all this outside interference. It only makes sense that they would have a cage match uh, with the Lucha Brothers for the titles. So um, and I thought it was a huge like moment for the Lucha Brothers, like seeing them like finally go over and win those belts because they've been there since day one. So and you could tell that it legitimately like meant something to them. Mm-hmm. So uh, which was really nice to see. Yeah, I mean when when I saw the young bucks immediately start running up the cage, I was concerned oh, for them. I was like, my "Oh my god, god are they going to do like outs like if they escape, they win rules?" I was oh, I've been so yeah. upset. Well, you know where where I got nervous was when Ray Phoenix scaled the cage and uh-huh. went to the top. I was like, "Oh motherfucker." Like <laughs> I was terrified he was going to do some fucking, like, insane, like, corkscrew plancha or something mm. like that. I'm so happy he just went with a nice, safe, like, crossbody that was just, like, from 40 yes. feet up high. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's been injured way too many times. I guess I really shouldn't be using the term safe, you know, with a jump like that. But, you know, it was a lot safer than what I thought I was going to get. Because I was, like, I was picturing, like, Nick Jackson getting up there and, like, a Canadian destroyer happening off the top of the cage. Uh-huh. Uh, or something insane like that. So, so I definitely like let out like a sigh of relief when he hit that crossbody. No, I absolutely agree. I definitely think this match is going to have like a, a special sentiment for me because I actually got to watch the like magic and joy of wrestling appear in my girlfriend during this match. Oh. She was on the edge of her seat from like start to finish. That's nice. You know, and I was like, you know, it's usually on her phone or something or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it was just impressive to see something like that really spark joy there. And I, I really enjoyed every moment of this match. I thought it was awesome. Hey, you know, every, every little bit of blood, every, everything they gave into this, it was fucking awesome to watch. I mean, that's a, that, that says a lot. Like if they're able to like make a new fan with this match. So exactly. All right. What do we have next? Uh, we had the 21 woman casino battle Royal, which thank God they put it here because they needed something that that would have a slow build to get the crowd back in right after a match like that. Yeah, no. Uh, right. Uh, but the crowd, you know what? I got to say, they remained pretty fucking hot throughout this match. Yes, they definitely like booed like crazy when Sky Blue, the hometown girl, got thrown mm-hmm. out early. I was like, man, like you don't you could have like let her last a little longer. But I guess they probably didn't want her going too long in the match and like have the crowd turn on the eventual winner uh <laughs> you know getting their hopes up uh but yeah no i i thought for the most part this was probably like the best of like the casino battle royal matches yeah i thought it was really well worked and it didn't feel like such a clusterfuck and i mean this isn't just the women's you know match because that happens a lot of times in the guy guys version of the match too because i believe right the guys do a mm. version of this also right yes. with the fucking i i still hate the gimmick of the match i i don't uh-huh. i don't get it <laughs> but whatever like at this point i'm like let's just get it over with and you get the little joker reveal which is cool um but yeah no i mean everyone was able to get their shit in i felt like for the most part they had a lot of nice like moments where everyone got a chance to like really shine you know at least you know the wrestlers that they were trying to push um and they also like set up some new storylines in this match, which I think we'll see play out on TV for weeks to come, which, you know, is what you want out of a match like this. Cause it definitely seems like, you know, the Ty Conti, like bunny feud, 
uh, with like Penelope Ford, like that's going to keep on, you know, moving forward. Mm -hmm. Um, You had Swole against um, Diamante, um, and that's an ongoing like storyline in Dark, but, you know, that was really continued here. And it looks like Nyla Rose might be facing off against Jade Cargill. So uh, who's the face of that situation? I don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) there's definitely something brewing there so but i mean the big story of the match was the debut of you know ruby soho the crowd went insane once her graphic hit the screen it was a huge moment you could tell like how much like it meant to her like she was getting emotional on the ramp and that Mm -hmm. song is just magical because that song like alone is going to put her over <laughs> with the AEW crowd. Um, and it's just perfect. And the fact that, like, you know, Lars from Rancid, like, like actually, like, gifted it to her. I mean, it's a great story. So I thought she really, like, mixed it up well with the rest of the women. Um, mm-hmm. Ruby is such a great seller. Like, she does a fantastic job selling people's shit. Um you know, like just I feel like she's just going to elevate the women's division just, you know, with her presence. And, you know, a lot of the more greener wrestlers are going to learn a lot from her. Uh, both her and Thunder Rosa at the end of the match did a great job of keeping everyone on the edge of their seats, uh, you know, working the outside of the apron for a good like couple of minutes. Like I had no clue which way it was going to go. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but, you know, once, you know, Ruby went over, like you could tell like how much it really fucking meant to her, um, which was great. Like the fact that she even hugged the ref, um, I thought just was an amazing moment. So, no, yeah, I, I definitely feel like I need to be watching Dark because there's a lot of these matches and storylines that I just didn't or was completely unaware of, you know, going into this. You know, I feel like there's a ton of exposure for the women's division on Dark that I, I wish they would kind of bring a little bit more to the other shows. But I understand, you know. You know, it's the, the, they have so much going on right now, they, especially they have a lot going on. I like I wish uh, Rampage was two hours, honestly. Like, I feel like it needs yeah. to be two hours because they just like that one hour and what, like three matches, you know, for that night. I feel like that's just not going to cut it with the amount exactly. of wrestlers they have right now. If they want to keep this big of a roster and keep everyone happy. I feel like they're going to need to expand it to another hour. I don't know if that's going to be an option on, you know, uh, TNT and eventually TBS, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. I mean, if it keeps on doing the ratings that it's doing, um, Mm -hmm. I'm sure they'll have no problem bumping whatever, you know, syndicated, you know, what, like episodes of fucking, you know. Dewey Hauser, where the hell they play on TBS? (laughs) I have no clue. (laughs) Like, I I feel like, because I know whatever was, whatever show it took the place of was like their ratings were like minuscule so Mm. you know it's been a big rating like boon for them you know with rampage so tonight on dynamite there was a nice little back and forth between uh brit and ruby uh ruby mentioned that she was kind of a mentor to brit when she first broke into the business uh and then it kind of all set up to a match between her and jamie hater uh brit had a fucking great line saying um God, I'm, I'm totally paraphrasing. I'm not going to do it justice whatsoever. But basically that, why don't you go sit back in catering since that's where you're used to being for the last four years. Jesus. Yeah, so pretty <laughs> fucking nasty. <laughs> but a great line. So uh, the crowd definitely like, you know, oohed at that one. 
Uh, the match between Jamie Hayter and uh, Ruby was okay. It was going well at first, but then there was like a botched, I, I'm guessing it was either an electric chair or a poison Rana that they were trying to pull off. Ruby went all the way. She was actually on Jamie's sh- shoulders, obviously. It wasn't reversed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she tried to go backwards, you know, with her, but then Jamie didn't go right away. And then she went and it just, it, it looked like horrifying. Like both of them yeah. like fell on their heads. It was ugly. So uh, they were both able to recover um, and, you know, pull it back together because, you know, Ruby is a professional and like she ended up not, you know, not giving Jamie Hayter any credit, but like there's just a different level of professionalism i feel like with ruby and you could tell that she's like seen it all but after all that went down they were able to recover well i mean ruby's professional so she knows what to do uh, you know and they pulled you know a decent finish out of the match this of course like set up you know brit and rebel attacking her um as uh the ref was about to raise her hand there was a little like I don't know if it was miscommunication. I don't know if Ruby was supposed to like hug the ref again or something like that. Cause he was kind of standing there awkwardly. Like he was trying mm-hmm. to hug her or something so they could have like, you know, um, a Brit jumper, I think. So it, there was just something a little off. Um, hopefully Ruby's like bell wasn't wrong at this point. Um, but I mean, it's hard to tell because she's so good at selling <laughs> as Brit and like hater and rebel are beating her down. Out of nowhere comes Rio to make the save. Um, That lasted maybe like, you know, 10 seconds. She starts getting her ass kicked too. It's a numbers game. And then out came Chris Statlander with a chair, chasing away all the heels and setting up a uh, trios match for, uh, I believe, Rampage. Well, I'm game to see that. Yeah, no, it should be a good match. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. Rebels in it, but, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I was honestly surprised she didn't have. Did she have a cane again? No, no, chance no, she her? didn't. She didn't. Because she did have that nasty little like drop at the end of her like moment in the 21 women match. I was like, oh, well, there you go. Now she can come back out with the crutch. <laughs> oh, Rebel. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, uh, what was next, Christian? Up next, we had Chris Jericho defeating MJF by submission. Um, This was that match where if he had lost, he would have been retired from wrestling. Uh, but he uh, clearly won. So now <laughs> is he still with now, us? Now I gotta say, like I was getting a little concerned with just kind of like the promos that Jericho was cutting up to this match that he could possibly retire because there's a few times where he got a little teary eyed, but acting i guess like i was like uh-huh. oh, okay okay um and then once i saw him on rampage doing commentary i was like okay he's not retiring there's no way that they went half <laughs> him doing commentary you know the the weekend of the pay-per-view like that just felt weird to me i wish they would have actually mm-hmm. not had him on commentary and just like been like oh no he's focusing on his match getting ready and everything like that so i kind of did bump up against that um but yeah no uh so I loved MJF's intro, like him coming out to the countdown clock and everything. I thought that was fantastic and well done. Um, The crowd booed the shit out of him. I wish (laughs) he'd find a better seamstress um, because whoever's doing his robes, it it just looks like a prop from like a high school play to me. Like it just looks really like Bush League. 
You uh-huh. know, it looks like bargain bin at a sex shop. Yeah, yeah. You know, he could do better, yeah. right? <laughs> like uh, Flair needs to put him in touch with like his rope person or something. Yes, um, but yeah, no. So anyway, maybe that's part of the gimmick. I don't know, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, the the robe looked awful. Um, but speaking of awful, Jericho's entrance, like I I understand what he was going for, uh-huh. but like. <laughs> He needed to talk to his guitarist and tell him to, like, tone it down and just play the fucking song. Because, like, everything he was trying to throw in there, you know, all those, like, bells and whistles that, you know, Uh guitar guys want to throw in, you know, to, like, their little solo. Like, it just completely threw off the crowd, you know, and they got lost multiple times. Well, on top of that, I feel like he needed a drum track or something because he kept falling off time. He wasn't on time the entire time. Yeah, but I think that's because he's a lead guitarist. And a lead guitarist is like a fucking wrestler. Like, they want to get their shit in. You know? Like, so, Mm -hmm. like, he's throwing those bells and whistles in the song and, like, trying to get himself over. But it's to the detriment of why he's there. Like, you know, trying to get the crowd to actually be able to sing along to the song. So, uh, but yeah, it, it was what it was. Um, so for the most part, I enjoyed the match. I think my only issue was like, we've seen it so much over the last like month and a half, Mm -hmm. two months. And really, I mean, if you think about this feud has been going for a year, like they got together or they started to kind of like, you know, tease them, like joining forces, like that whole Mm storyline started last September. So did not realize so this that. whole story <laughs> has been going on for a year. Um, but like over the last like two or three months, we've seen them wrestle. What? Like, is it three times? Three times at least. Right. Yeah, this would be four. Yeah. This was yeah. the fourth time. So um, the match was good. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, for the most part, I liked the psychology of the match. I liked MJF still working the elbow. I like Jericho, like, you know, picking apart his back and everything, trying to get the line tamer in. Um, and I, I've got to say, man, like, although I was a, like 98% sure that Jericho was going to win the match, they got me with that finish at the end, the false finish at the end. And I think part of the reason is because AEW doesn't do finishes like that very often. Where if mm-hmm. this was like WWE and a finish like that happened, I would know right away, oh, they're going to restart this match. It's, you know, whatever. But just because of the way it ended and because it was taking place in an AEW ring, I was like, oh, motherfucker, they better not fucking <laughs> end Jericho's like, career like this. Um, but once they did that finish, like the crowd came to life and like they were on 10 at the end of this, like once they restarted the match. Um, so it, it made the like Jericho winning even bigger. Whereas if it was just like, you know, a clean finish for Jericho, I don't think it would have gotten to that level. I think the only spot I didn't really like in this match for the most part was um, when we had Jake Hager and what, what the fuck is his name? Uh, <sighs> Wardlow. Tall guy Wardlow. on Wardlow. There we go. 
when we had Jake Hager and Wardlow come out and attack each other. And I thought, you know, like if we're going to have the factions going at one another, maybe someone like Sammy, who has a little bit more emotional weight with Chris Jericho being there, would have been a bigger moment or spot. Because he wasn't on the pay-per-view at all. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It just it felt very forced, that little spot there. Yeah, but the whole reason for the spot was so they would have a reason for the second ref to be out there. Because it was yeah, the refs. I to, so I was fine with it. I, it didn't take away from anything for me. So okay. like, and, and you needed to have that second ref to reverse the call. So I, mm-hmm. I understand why. And I was just happy that the factions were getting involved again. So um, and I, I was super excited to actually see the inner circle come out and celebrate with Jericho, too. So and it kind of felt like that was like the bow on this whole program, um, which is great. You know, I'm glad that they're moving on now because I feel like the story is done. So tonight on Dynamite, uh, we had MJF come out with Wardlow um, and just fucking lit Cincinnati on fire, just tearing them apart. Um, you could tell that he was being extra like vindictive just because of the loss that he suffered. Um, they were chanting, you tapped out. Brian Pillman Jr. being from Cincinnati, he had his aunt and his sister uh, sitting ringside. Uh, MJF started mouthing off to them. That ended up causing Pillman to come out, get into MJF's face. He cut a pretty damn good promo, Pillman. So um, he's feeling more and more confident on the mic, which, you know, should go a long way for him because he's definitely getting over with the audience now, especially after Mm. that Dark Side of the Ring um, episode aired. So um, I I definitely see big things for uh, Pillman. But anyway, this basically set up a match for um, Pillman and MJF. Uh, It looks like it's going to take place at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Uh, During this segment, though, which was interesting, um, Wardlow gets in between them. But then MJF, like, tears into Wardlow and, like, says something like, what are you going to help me like you helped me on Sunday? And, like, banished him to the corner. And Wardlow, like, you know, looked pretty pissed off, but still walked away. Um, But then Pillman jumps uh, MJF and starts beating the shit out of him. Wardlow, like, kind of pauses and hesitates and then eventually, like, you know, makes the save for him. Uh, But then it happens again and it does feel like maybe Wardlow was, like, hesitating a little more um, than he should have to, like, save MJF. So it, it definitely feels like they're teasing you know, friction between MJF and Wardlow. So I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. if Wardlow's out of, you know, the pinnacle sooner than later. And like, and he's got a baby face run, you know. All right. So up next, we had the most anticipated match on the card, Christian. That's right. We had CM Punk versus Darby Allen. CM Punk winning his first match in seven years years that's right um i thought this was a really smartly worked match um i thought it told a great story um i love the fact that we got to watch like punk really get like his legs underneath him like early on in the match and you know really make like you know the ring rust part of the story Mm. um you know uh everyone at this point has already called it out but like they're definitely you know paying homage to one, two, three kid and Bret Hart, um, you know, which is a classic match. If you haven't seen it, check it out. I, I don't know what raw it was on, but it was a long, long time ago. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it's a great match. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I thought this did nothing but put Darby over also. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really worried kind of about Chicago, like turning on Darby here, 
But um, if anything, like Darby is more over in losing in this match. Um, this was probably the slowest paced match I've ever seen Darby Allen work. Um, but it was nice to see him be able to work a match like this, this style, and still like get over. And once it finally started to really pick up, you know, you really saw the crowd joining in and really exploding. You know, it was that, that amount of tension that got to there. Exactly. I think it works. Yes. A lot of pe- I, there's a lot of people I've seen not really appreciating that, mostly on, I think, on the people that wanted it to be, a you know, a failure. But Yes. <laughs> but you know what? I mean, fuck those guys, right? Like, uh-huh. they're going to hate on the match no matter what. If it was too fast-paced, they would have complained about that, saying that, like, Punk is like, you know, working down to like, you know, AW's level and that, you know, he should be better than that. So you can't win. And, you know, and for the most part, I've only heard positive things. So, I mean, whatever. I love the match and that's, you know. Fuck everyone else. I don't care what they think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I popped like crazy during the sit-up spot. I thought yes. that was amazing. Everything from there, I, I thought it was a great match. There's nothing wrong with a match crescendoing. You starting off slow. Uh-huh. And, like, and like I said, it was very much part of the match of Punk, mm-hmm. you know, shaking off seven years worth of ring rust. You know, that's really kind of the story that they were trying to tell. Christian did a very similar style match, if you think about it, against uh, Kazarian when he first uh, debuted mm, yeah. in AEW, where it was really about, like, him getting his wind and him, like, trying to hang with, you know, you know, a talent after seven years. So, um, you know, and Punk made sure everyone knew after the match that it had been seven years, you know, since he's wrestled. And I thought he put together a great fucking match. And like I said, I mean, it put over Darby huge. And I'm glad, like, the final moment of, like, him, like, shaking Darby's hand really like solidified i feel like darby as a superstar you know i thought it was great having sting come out and everything um you know and just to see like three different generations of wrestlers like interacting with each other was huge so i I was a little worried when sting came out i was like oh my god is fucking sting gonna like jump you know punk or something here like we're gonna have like some weird heel turn because i i I don't want that at all Uh um but you know that didn't happen at all it was just all about paying respect i thought he was just coming out to like carry darby allen out of the ring Mm -hmm. that's what i thought was about to happen but i i appreciate that it was just like a moment of respect between the three of them well too i think you know, I think it was also so Darby could pick himself up, you know, like so it could be one of those situations where, you know, I got to do this myself. I want to be able to walk out of here, um, you know, so that it was a good moment. It was a good moment. Like I said, I guess now the question is after Darby, who's next for CM Punk? Well, on tonight's Dynamite, Punk came out and addressed the crowd um, and he actually brought that up. Like what's next for CM Punk? And you know, kind of like pulled the audience scene, like who they wanted to see him go up against. Uh, all of a sudden, like after Punk's listing off names, uh, Taz, who was working commentary, because I don't know, like he was subbing for Excalibur and I have no clue where Excalibur was. I didn't hear them mention that if they did. Uh, but he uh, basically said, you better keep our names out of your mouth. And Punk was like, I didn't see her your name man like what is your problem <laughs> and then like i don't know if taz missed a line or something it was a little awkward because punk like starts i didn't mention you guys at all but then like taz like eventually came back to like well i heard you say it in the press 
pretty much. Um, which is true. Like uh, Punk has mentioned um, going up against Hobbs and going up against uh, Ricky Stark. So th- that is true. But it was just a weird, clunky kind of moment. Um, but Punk being the pro he is on the mic, you know, got past it, um, you know, you know, basically said he'll face off against anyone in Team Taz uh, if he wants him to. And then he used, you know, Taz's own line against him and everything, which popped the crowd huge. Um, the Survive If I Let You um, deal. So, um, but yeah, it was a pretty cool moment. So it feels like we're probably going to get like Punk versus Hobbs up next. Uh, just, I'm guessing that just because it feels like Starks is in the middle of a program with Cage. So, I mean, I'm sure we'll eventually get, you know, Starks and Punk, but it it feels like we're going to go Hobbs and Punk first. Uh, Could we see CM Punk as the FTW champion? Yeah, but I see him like getting in and like throwing in the trash. You know, so, <laughs> if that's the case. But, yeah, I mean, he's legitimately mentioned like wanting to go up against Hobbs and Stark. So I'm not surprised by mm-hmm. this. I mean, Hobbs is just a fucking monster, man. Like he is terrifying out there. So should be a cool, like, you know, styles clash to see like, you know, Punk and Hobbs go up against each other. Um, and I mean, the more Hobbs works with, you know, these veterans, the better he's going to get because he's got a lot of potential. Because like I said, I mean, the dude is just terrifying. Well, up next, we had Paul White defeating QT Marshall. Do you have anything to say about this? Not really. I mean, this is exactly what we thought was going to happen. It's like uh-huh. two minutes, you know, some chops and a choke slam, and we're good. Uh, I was surprised there was no interference, like, by the gun club. Since that yeah. felt like it was kind of what set the up, fuck? right? Like that was set up on uh, on was it Dynamite or was it Rampage where that happened? I believe it was Dynamite. Okay, yeah. So I was like, okay, you know. So I don't know if that's still a thing storyline wise because I don't. Even, did they mention it on the show? Oh, on the actual pay per view, yeah, they brought it up during okay. like during their little pre like thing for it, but okay, okay, yeah, so no Billy Gunn. Eventually they'll get there i guess and i don't think the gun club's supposed to actually be aligned with the factory thank god for them so you know i mean the crowd was into watching qt get tortured by big show so Uh i get it (laughs) 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 but it was i think it was put there as an obvious like buffer you know, between oh, yeah. the two matches. So, um, which isn't typically, like it, it isn't typically something AEW does a lot of times. AEW mm-hmm. a lot of times books like New Japan, where the card just kind of like slowly escalates and you'll get like awesome match after awesome match. They don't have those like let me up matches. Um, but hey, like I said, we got to see Big Show, you know, choke slam the shit out of QT Marshall. So. I'm cool with it. Sure. No, I don't want to see him wrestle every week. I hope that's not a thing. No, <laughs> please, God. Like, he wasn't on Dynamite, right? No, this, no, this no, 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 no. Absolutely okay. not. Yeah. Uh, well, up next, we have Kenny Omega defeating Christian Cage, ultimately retaining his AEW World Championship. I thought this was a great match. Um, I really loved that it felt like they turned it up to like a next gear here um especially like the very beginning of the match where they just started slugging it out um i thought was pretty amazing i really thought this was like a main event where they match and i know a lot of people 
were kind of down on it because they wanted to see like Hangman, you know, versus Kenny, which I get. I wanted to see that too. But uh, they definitely won me over with their first match on Rampage. And I felt like this match, they turned it up even like to uh, like another notch, basically. Um, You know, even the way they started the match with them just like slugging it out of the middle of the ring and everything. But then after a couple big like heat spots from Kenny with the table and everything like that, um, it slowly started to become more of a like a technical match and it was like skill versus skill and everything and like both of their finishers like complement each other so well because they both can be countered into each other so i don't know i really dug them in no those early moments with the tables and everything really brought me back to those early like new japan days of kenny omega's matches and stuff like that so i definitely thought you know this was at least at that same quality and i really enjoyed the match from there on um it's probably one of my favorite christian matches i've seen you know I'm not, i've never been his biggest fan so i definitely really got into this awesome awesome well maybe he's like you know converted you you're you're a born again Christian. <laughs> Boo. See, I'm See? not the only one. Yes, with puns. right. <laughs> you could say I've been caged in. Oh God, I hate you. Do-do-do. All right, <laughs> you're the worst. Anyway, um, yeah, no, I thought this was a great match and everything. Yes. Um, you know, at first it felt like the crowd was kind of like turning on Christian, but then eventually, like he won them back mm-hmm. um you know just a great technical match and i think good wrestling is always going to do that with a crowd you know um uh, but i mean this crowd was still up after everything that had happened you know prior you know to this because this was it felt like a was this four hours this pay-per-view i believe yeah it was around four hours okay. was, i think it was just under okay okay i mean it wasn't like a marathon you know paper like wwe will pull off sometimes no. but you know <laughs> it did feel a little bit on the long side and maybe that's just because so much was happening um but the crowd mm. was still into it you know i mean and how could you not be with you know kenny omega and christian in the ring so exactly know, just two guys at you know the top of their craft right now so um, and think about it christian's fucking 47 years old and he hadn't wrestled for seven years before this and he's able to still work at this level um pretty pretty amazing pretty awesome stuff man i mean even this pay-per-view even brought a man back from the dead so after you know kenny won the match and retained after hitting a sick fucking like uh second rope uh one winged angel on christian you know reversing out of the kill switch um after the bell rang though the elite jump on christian start beating the shit out of them that ends up you know, causing Jurassic Express to come out to make the save. They end up getting their asses handed to them. Omega gets on the mic bragging, saying that, you know, no one can beat him. You know, you know, the only people who could beat him possibly are either not here, retired or dead. And then lo and behold, back from the dead, Adam Cole appears to a monstrous pop. Now, I'm not going to lie. At this point, I was expecting Daniel Bryan to come up and the the whole death line didn't land with me at all. And I think like I heard rumors that Cole was possibly going to be debuting um, the day before, actually. But then after because I just kind of figured that, OK, well, Daniel Bryan's definitely debuting that that's just a, mm. a shoe in right now, you know, according to like a thousand different sources. Um, so after he didn't like appear with the young bucks you know during their match um 
I was like, okay, well, maybe they're holding off Cole. So he was kind of like the furthest thing from my mind, you know, and just because of the situation, I was like, okay, it's got to be Brian. So when Adam Cole came out, like, I lost my shit. I thought it was fucking huge. <laughs> um, and the, the, the way his music hit and everything, um, he's got a song that's like similar enough to his NXT song that yeah, it still Did they works. get the same band or I something? I think so, though. <laughs> Did he come out to like some guy one time? um rapping do you remember that like rapping to his song yeah but that's that's the wrestle and flow guy i don't is he like underneath wwe contract or something i I don't believe so so i mean maybe he got him to do a song for him i don't know because it sounded very (laughs) similar so Uh um but yeah no no it it was it was a, a perfect moment honestly um now when he was walking down the ramp i was like there's no way he's there to save Christian and, you know, Jurassic Express. Uh-huh. You know? so, <laughs> so I wasn't really surprised by, you know, the, the turn and everything. Um, but it still was worth it. Uh, it was really well done um, and got a huge reaction from the crowd. It felt like a bona fide moment, you know, in wrestling mm-hmm. history. So, um, but yeah. I was almost half expecting him to super kick Kenny and like to try to take over the elite out of nowhere. Like I was like, oh, is this going to be like, are they going to try to pull off that like weird ring of honor spot where they all took out him and mm-hmm. stuff in the past? And uh, but, you know, it made it made sense that he's just going to work with them. Yeah, <laughs> they're not going to end what they've got I going mean, on with that. Faction. I can see that eventually maybe happening, you know, uh, or, or maybe you know, Cole and Kenny aren't getting along. And if you remember, that was originally a storyline that was happening in Ring of Honor and New Japan. Yeah. You know, so I, I eventually I feel like they'll probably go down that road. Um, but not just yet, because I think people want to see them together, you know, right now. Mm. So why not give the people what they want? But that's not all. Um, Tony Khan is a madman and decided to give us two huge debuts back to back um definitely unconventional booking but you know what in the moment it worked um you know i, I think we talked about it's like oh well you, you gotta kind of space out these you know these debuts uh-huh. well, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> i mean maybe that's just brainwashing from wwe but like uh-huh. this worked just fine and i feel like it changed like a big moment into like a happening you know, like we we're seeing something like historic happening. Yes. Um, you know, but yeah, so <laughs> Kenny gets on the mic. He starts doing his familiar spiels, saying goodnight to the crowd. And then all of a sudden, Flight of the Valkyrie hits. The crowd erupts, losing their shit. Yes, chance all around. Daniel Bryan awkwardly skips down the ramp apparently he doesn't want to do the yes chant which is just okay i guess um i i I, it sounds like he might be concerned that it might be like you know intellectual property of wwe if he does it um so i don't know if they've got lawyers looking into that um or maybe he's just trying to like get past it i think he said that in the past too (laughs) you know like hey if the crowd does it cool but you know i don't want to be doing it but then he always goes back to it because it's so weird not to do it um but anyway um we'll we'll see what happens but yes he comes out you know clears house basically with the rest of the baby faces um you know hits his fucking running knee 
I mean, just a magical moment, you know, to end just a fantastic pay-per-view. I mean, definitely one of the best pay-per-views I can remember in recent history. No, I absolutely agree. And I think that's going to really, you know, be seen in our star ratings when we get to it. But I mean, yeah, this pay-per-view is unbelievably good. I mean, we've compared to like what we've gotten this year, we've gotten through some pretty shitty pay-per-views across the board with a lot of different things. But AEW has been been the saving grace. And this has definitely been everything I want out of all out, at least. I feel like this bar none is their best pay-per-view. Yes. I mean, it's, and it's going to be it's going to be really hard to top this. I mean, just having these huge seismic shifting like debuts, you know, back to back to back like they did. And then like Suzuki on top of it, you know? Yes. Like, <laughs> I don't. Insane. I, holy shit. So, I mean, it just felt like a moment in wrestling that we're going to be talking about for a long time. How this eventually translates you know, into, you know, AEW's growth is anyone's guess. Um, But they're definitely the talk of the town right now. And they definitely have momentum on their side. So um, on tonight's show, um, we had Adam Cole come out with the Elite, um, cut a pretty awesome fucking promo talking about being you know now part of the best wrestling company in the world i he kind of underlined the word wrestling um you know and just talking about how excited he is to be part of you know AEW and the elite um you know the best you know faction um, in wrestling today. Uh, and, you know, then he um, just happened to mention that he'll actually be wrestling on next week's Dynamite. Um, they didn't name his opponent. But after what happens next, um, I think I have a pretty good guess, but we'll have to see. Um, because uh, while the elite are standing in the ring, out comes uh, Brian Danielson. Uh, he's got the American Dragon logo up on the screen so it feels like he's gonna definitely be using that moniker now because i don't okay. think i don't think that uh i don't think that flashed on the screen during his debut on all out right i didn't I see believe it so, at least no. so uh but yeah it seems like he's going to be using that moniker which i love i love that fucking name so um no. but yeah no, uh he comes out he confronts kenny omega omega clears out the ring it's just those two um you know Brian basically calls out Omega, challenging the fact that Omega thinks he's the best wrestler in the world. Um, you know, eventually setting up a match probably in the near future. Um, Omega says that it doesn't work that way. You can't just get a match when you walk in here. Um, I'm paraphrasing, but you know, it seems like they're headed in that direction. I could see this match happening at like Arthur Ashe and being like non-title. Um, We'll see. Um, but yeah, they go at it briefly. Um, Brian hits his yes lock on him. Uh, the elite jump in. Then all of a sudden, Christian, Jurassic Express, and Frankie Kazarian come out. Uh, during this melee, Frankie ends up kicking Cole out of the ring. So I'm guessing that maybe we're going to see Frankie Kazarian against Adam Cole next week. Um, mm. Which hell i'm i'm all for it yeah. so uh, <laughs> uh and then the segment ends with the elite 
you know, making a run for it, leaving poor Brandon Cutler in the middle of the ring, surrounded by all the baby faces. And then, uh, of course, Brian Danielson ends up hitting his running knee on him. Yeah, but it was definitely a jam packed like episode of Dynamite. They just have so much going on right now. I mean, Tony Khan has his work cut out for him if he's going to juggle all these different storylines, you know, right now. So um, it should be interesting and fun to watch. But for now, we have to grade the actual pay-per-view that just happened. Um, I'm going to give it... I'm, I think I'm going to give it a five-star. Um, you know, I, all the, all the big reveals, you know, nothing but great matches. I think the only thing I didn't enjoy, of course, was Big Show versus QT Marshall. And I can't really, you know, complain too much about that because it was going to be a squash match no matter what, you know, <laughs> I think everything, you know, was built right. Even the women, um, the women's 21 battle Royale, you know, those have been kind of all over the place the last few times this time I, I enjoyed myself all the way through. I honestly just can't find a thing to complain about here uh, which is just so unus- unusual yeah. for well, me I mean like like you said with the big show match I mean it served its purpose so like yes, you exactly. know and like the the casino battle royal like it was the best casino battle royal we've had you know in exactly. the last three years so like I can't even complain about that I thought it you know that the Ruby Soho moment was huge Exactly. I want. I'm hoping for a great match between her and Thunder Rosa someday as well. By the way, yes. I forgot to mention that. Um, I also feel like they'd make great tag partners too. I yes. could see them like teaming up against like Brit and her crew. You know, sooner than later. Exactly. Um, Damon, what would you give it? I'm gonna give it five stars. Also. All right. Like I said, <laughs> I mean, it's the best pay per view since I don't know when. It was definitely like the most satisfying like wrestling experience I've had in quite a while. So, and that's saying a lot, like maybe since like WrestleMania 17, (laughs) (laughs) which is like, you know, world renowned as like the best WrestleMania. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, yeah, I have no complaints. I mean, they gave me everything I wanted and then some. I mean, we got the fucking return of CM Punk, which is something I wanted for seven years. And we got three huge debuts um, that does nothing but make your show better. I mean, the future was already bright for AEW. I mean, now it's just fucking blinding. Like, I don't know. I'm really excited to see where this company heads and what heights they could possibly reach. And hey, speaking of the future, since we have this forbidden door that just keeps sliding open back and forth, um, Kenta recently uh, sent out a fun tweet to yeah, CM Punk saying, Punk. fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and I would love to see that match in the future if that's something we could, you know, work out. <laughs> oh, I definitely feel like that's happening. I mean, there's so many like New Japan guys right now stateside. So. Mm-hmm. I feel like Suzuki is just like the tip of the iceberg. Oh, yeah. You know, I feel like we're going to see Jay White eventually. I feel like we, we're probably going to get Osprey. I feel like we're going to be seeing some huge matches like coming through that forbidden door. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know. It's exciting. It really is. Like, I mean, honestly, on an average pay-per-view, if Suzuki was the lone surprise, that would have been huge. But uh-huh. <laughs> and we didn't even mention him breaking down like why this is a five star pay-per-view, you know? True. So, yeah. I mean, so much happened on this show. It's just insane. 
Um, but yeah, no. Uh, speaking of speculation, have you seen all the stuff going back and forth with uh, Kevin Owens and the Bucks? Yeah, I saw that uh, Kevin Owens had posted the coordinates to Mount Rushmore. That's uh, right. Which I believe was an old faction of theirs. Well, yes, it was Kevin Owens, Adam Cole, and the Young Bucks. So, uh, yeah, he posted the coordinates to Mount Rushmore. And then underneath his Twitter location, uh, he he posted almost there. And then the Bucks, in turn, posted on their location there. So... (laughs) Um, So the rumor is apparently that Kevin Owens' contract is coming up a lot sooner than people originally thought. Um, I believe back in 2018, he said that he signed a five-year deal, which would put him with the WWE to 2023. But now it's coming out that his contract is actually up in January of 2022, which is just like four or five months away. So um, I guess they it, it's all due to some kind of restructuring they did uh, pre-pandemic um, with the contracts. So I don't know. We might be seeing, you know, AEW kicking off the new year with, you know, Kevin Steen. Well, all right. Now we definitely need another hour yes. for Rampage. Yes. <laughs> At this point. Because, I mean... And then there's the rumors with Bray and everything mm-hmm, happening. Exactly. I mean, what are you going to do? And the, like, there's no way that wrestlers aren't going to get lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. You know, um, which is sad to think. But I mean, talent rises to the top and there's no way that, you know, Tony Khan can't, you know, put these like mega stars up front and center, you know, in, you know, storylines. I just hope that like he doesn't lose focus on creating new stars also, because that's really been like their bread and butter since the beginning of AEW. Exactly. I mean, we've seen a bunch over the last few weeks just, you know, looking so talented. I mean, look at Dante Martin, uh, mm-hmm. everything that he did, like when he went up against uh, Omega for those four, like for those few moments in the match. It's just they're building great stars and they have so much talent. It's it is nerve wracking to see what's going to happen to them if this continues to happen. And I mean, not only I mean, you think about like Dante Martin, he's relatively new. But what about the stars they've been working on for the last like couple of years, too? I mean, you got Sammy Guevara and yes. the wings, you know, I, I imagine like big things, you know, for him happening in the next you know year or so. I mean, Adam Page, I feel like he's going to have a title reign like coming mm-hmm. up soon. I feel like, you know, if anyone's beating Omega for the title, it's going to be Page. So, um, you know, I mean, I mean, Jesus Christ, Jungle Boy, Orange Cassidy. I mean, the list is long. <laughs> so, yeah, they definitely need to find some more TV time somewhere. Um, you know, it'll definitely be interesting to see if Khan can like balance all of this, you know, um, you know, because it, it, like you said, I mean, it, it's just such a huge roster and now you've got some major names that you need to really like highlight, um, mm-hmm. you know, to draw new eyes onto your show. Cause Daniel Bryan, CM Punk, um, you know, and even Adam Cole to a certain extent, those are wrestlers that, you know, while people are flipping through channels, they're going to stop and, you know, watch, you know, that's definitely going to, uh, you know, uh, capture the attention of your casual fan. 
um, you know, especially Punk and Brian. So uh, I just hope that, you know, other wrestlers don't get lost in the shuffle because of that. I mean, too, like, I mean, AEW has been nothing but like this Shangri-La for wrestlers. You've heard nothing but good things, you know, coming out of the locker room about the way the place is run and like and how everyone's so happy and it has this like family like atmosphere. Well, you know, with your roster expanding to this size, eventually, you know, someone's not going to be getting the TV time that they think they deserve. You know, mm-hmm. so like I feel like you're gonna start hearing more and more like disgruntled voices coming from that AEW locker room. It's unfortunate. I mean, the only cure for this is you know, like I said, making you know Rampage an hour longer, and maybe adding possibly another show. I mean, I don't know if I could handle any more wrestling a week, but you know, as long as the show's awesome, I'm willing to try. But for now, I guess all we have to do is watch more Rampage and watch more Dynamite. And I guess we'll talk more about that next week. Well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? Well, besides our weekly breakdown of Marvel's What If, we'll also be reviewing James Wan's latest horror film, Malignant. And as always, we'll be discussing the latest in wrestling. Well, my name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. Rule number one for surviving Zombieland, cardio. When the virus struck, for obvious reasons, the first ones to go were the fatties. No, no, no.